Give me the high sign. I was just more worried about this stupid haircut that I got. Oh, come on. My barber finally returned to town. You look beautiful. Yeah, well, I like it when I'm scruffier. Now I, <laughs> now I look like, like George Lucas. Too polished? You do look like you George do look Lucas. Like George Lucas. <laughs> We're going to make a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Special podcast guy today, George Lucas. Bart Lucas, yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Wisconsin Football Podcast is back. And today's program is being brought to you by the letter C. That's right. I mean, obviously, Coach Joe Loth is here with yours truly, Bart Pisterno. But we're going to be joined by another coach. But before we even end up talking with a former Westcon assistant who's had a very interesting career, um, we, I, I want to find out. When was the first time that Coach Loth had an inkling he wanted to be Coach Joe Loth? Because you're a kid, you're playing ball, you're getting into organized sports. When I've known very few people who, from the day they got interested in a sport, thought about coaching first and, and foremost. Was it that way? With you? I'm thinking you were you were more thinking about let's just play ball. Yeah, without a question, it was my junior year in college. Uh, I was I was actually a business finance major in college. Thought I wanted to work on Wall Street, and then just my junior year, you know, I, I all of a sudden I I got that bug looking around, looking at what the coaches are doing, really enjoying what I was doing, coming by the coaches' office a lot and watching their process, and really said, hey, you know, I think this might be something I want to do. And unfortunately, at the time, my buddy Scott Schaefer, uh, whose dad was a high school coach. Uh, was a great insight. And I remember calling up Scott, who was a quarterback at Bolden Wallace at the time, one of our rival schools where I played at. And I was like, hey, Scott, I think I want to get into college coaching. Uh, I'd like to talk to your dad. And I remember driving up and literally sitting at the kitchen table with Scott Scott Schaefer's dad and uh, and his dad, Ron Schaefer, and, and talking about the path of becoming a college coach. We talked about the high school route. We talked about getting a graduate assistant position, which I was fortunate enough to get coming out of Otterbein and stuff like that. So I can, to this day, remember sitting on the field thinking, hey, I think I want to do this. And I remember to this day uh, kind of driving to Scott's house and talking to his dad about, you know, what it takes to become a college coach. And my buddy Scott, who is an ultra-successful college coach too, was the head coach of Syracuse a couple years ago and he's at Middle Tennessee right now. So uh, he definitely comes from a great college coaching family, became a great college coach himself and and, uh, can remember to this day. Well, it's because it, I'm always fascinated how, how people come to it. Now, you know, I've talked to some guys who, well, you know, an, an injury happened, and but they wanted to stay in the sport. Or uh, they realized the next level wasn't going to happen for them as an athlete. But again, wanted to stay connected to the sport. You really, to be a coach, you can't. You you have to have there are so many things involved, Coach Loth. You you have to love the sport number one and enjoy it immensely. But number two, you you have to know that it's a, an ever evolving situation, a learning situation that never really ends. Yeah, without a question. I'm mean, I'm always studying, breaking down film, past opponent. I mean, getting ready for this year, we did a huge study on just how do we improve the offense, how do we improve the defense. 
But the interesting thing, going back on, on getting starting in coaching, it's such a unique profession in that you can't go to college and major in college football coaching. I mean, there is no – and then you have a profession where a lot of people want to get into it, so there's an incredible amount of supply and, and not a lot of – actually, a lot of demand but not a lot of supply as far as positions. So usually when you break into the college profession, uh, you're not making a lot of money. You're working a ton of hours, and uh, but you're surrounded by a bunch of people with, that are very much like-minded that want to break in this profession and do whatever you got to do to to be in this profession. And our guest later on, uh, you know, Coach Lapolis, who we'll get into, was similar to myself that we kind of broke in around the same time and and followed the same path in a lot of ways. So uh, it's definitely an interesting profession to be in, whether it's ours. But it's it's just a great profession if you want to do it, and and uh, just uh, you know, coaching college football is definitely unique. Well, it's it's an almost uh, <laughs> an almost learn as you go type of thing, and then you have to be willing to study from those who have not just been successful at it, because sometimes wins and losses don't indicate how good a coach can be. You <laughs> you, you still have to have the players, and you have to have all the accoutrement, but, you know, you have to learn. And I'm sure along the way, as you mentioned, uh, your buddy's dad was one of those people uh, along the way. You always have to be willing to learn and absorb and look to those people in order to improve yourself and get to the the type of spot where you are. Yeah, without a question. You know, the other unique thing about football and, and coaching in general is I always use this analogy, like if I was at IBM and I invented a new computer or a new way of doing things and was ultra successful, you would not invite five other computer (laughs) places in to say, hey, let me show you what we're doing. But coaching football is such a unique thing that if, if we have a good year, we may host a clinic for high school coaches and some college coaches, and we may get a bunch of people, and we, like, open up our playbook, and we're like, this is what we do, and it's the same thing. We could almost call up any place in the country as long as you're not playing them and say, hey, listen, I'd like to come by, uh, you know, study your offense a little bit, learn this play, or watch practice, and it's just such an open book. For such a competitive field, it's such an open book as far as people helping each other out. Now, you've had – Kids who have gone on to play sports and be involved in in sports, uh, are you a parent who says, "Well, I've got to let their coaches coach them," or do you get involved a little bit in the coaching of the kids along the way? And obviously, they're they're college kids now, but yeah, you know, my job has never allowed me to really coach my sons in any way because it's just I just work too many hours in the. In the spring, in the fall, and, and even the summer. Uh, so I've not been involved in that. But uh, being a head court coach at a small university or small college allows my schedule to watch them play sports in high school and watch them play sports in junior high and stuff like that. And even my youngest right now is running track at Central Connecticut. So unless we have a cl- uh, practice scheduled, I'm doing everything we can, me and my wife, to go over and watch them run track. No, it's and it's a good thing. But did they ever try to pick your brain along the way when they when they played football? You know, I, you know, you would think they would, but you know, <laughs> Dad doesn't know a whole lot when it comes down to pretty much anything in life. 
<laughs> Though, here's a good story. My son's going to, you know, get mad at me. That me and my youngest, uh, who runs, like I said, runs track at Central Connecticut, uh, we had a conversation last week. I said, Tyler, if it's windy out, because he runs the 100 meters, do they flip the 100 meters from left to right to right to left so it's like the wind's not a factor in the 100 meters? He's like, Dad, that's, that, there's no way they do that. So he's running at NC State this weekend, and they had a big meet down there. First time running the 100 since really his junior in high school because of COVID. And he texts me, he goes, Dad, you're right. <laughs> he said, we're running right to left. <laughs> I said, sometimes I'm right, Tyler. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> exactly. First uh, time ever, right, Tyler? Well, the gentleman we're going to be talking with is a, is a former uh, Westcon assistant who's uh, been coaching up in Canada now and been a broadcaster as well in Canada for, for many, many years. I know he was uh, a much appreciated assistant when he was – at Westcon, receivers especially loved, loved working uh, with this guy. And uh, he's still got a connection to Westcon up there. Uh, Paul Lampolis is, is one of the best and one of the, uh, one of the brightest. And we got to find out why he came back to coaching after having a, a successful broadcasting career. And, uh, and also about his time at, at Westcon because we have to remember he came from a dreaded rival and of I, Westcott. And I was going to bring that up. There's only one thing I don't like about Paul. <laughs> is he is a Plymouth State grad. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. How does, how does a Plymouth State, you would almost think, is he a spy coming into the organization here for, for Plymouth State? Because, and for those who don't know, in football, most especially there, there was a good stretch and it continues to a certain point today, a good stretch of time when there was, shall we say, no love lost between the two schools. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of it was before I got here uh, as the head coach. And even when I was here as a uh, coach my first time, there was definitely a rivalry between Plymouth State. And it's, uh, you know, it's been kind of on and off in the last, probably since I've been here. But it was a legendary – I mean, Plymouth State was the school Western couldn't beat. It was like 20 or 25 years, I think, Western went without beating them until, what, 1997 or 8 they beat them or some, something like that, like a 12-9 game to kick a field goal to win that game. Uh, yes, I, I can remember the, the booth at Plymouth rocking at that point in time um, and mostly because of supreme disbelief on the part of all the Plymouth people, because myself and a guy who was a, a sports writer at the time covering Westcon football, Jim Stout, we were the only Westcon, uh, let's say, media at the game. There were, you know, coaches positioned uh, who were, you know, on headsets and things, but otherwise, it was nothing but Plymouth folks. And when that field goal went, ooh, like it was as though the every ounce of air had been sucked out of Nashua, New Hampshire. Yeah, they uh but Plymouth does a great job. So Paul oh. Paul obviously played there and pl- played for legendary coach Lou Deloge, who won a ton of games up there. Oh. So <laughs> So we can't hold that too much. No, 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 no. But but I'm still I'm wondering. How? How they let him across the border? But you know what's interesting about that? If you looked at my <laughs> resume, uh, you know, I was a young coach at Western Connecticut, and then I got a, I became the defensive coordinator at Capital University in Ohio. 
Otterbein's crosstown rival eight miles away, like screw capital kind of, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> every, and I actually coached at our rival school too. So I, I've been involved in that. So it's, it's always interesting when you cross over to the rival and you're actually coaching there and seeing it from the other side. It ha- and it happens in all sports. People will despise you until the moment you're their very own. And <laughs> Without a question. <laughs> well, when we return, who's going to join us? It will be Paul Opelis, coaching now, the Ottawa Red Blacks in the Canadian Football League, former Westcott assistant, and uh, he's had a, a dual career. He's been a great coach. He's been a great broadcaster. And he's always been... Uh, a good friend to Westcon and its players and coaching staffs over the years. So Paul LaPolice will join us. Joe Loth, Bart Pasterna with you. The Westcon Football Podcast will continue. Welcome back to the Westcon Football Podcast. Bart Pasterna along with Coach Loth. We're going to be joined by one of the best of the brightest to ever coach here and currently one of the premier head coaches in the Canadian Football League. I want to mention Coach Loth wearing the contemporary Westcon outfit. My hoodie is provided by James Naismith uh, back in the original days of Westcon basketball. And Coach LaPolice, who joins us, rocking the Red Blacks. Oh, my man, you look outstanding. Loving the logo, loving the look. Nice. So at least we got that out of the way. I wasn't sure. Is this a video podcast or an audio podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I'm on video, right? It is a video podcast. Um, So if we want to go into logos, let's start this. A little trivia about the Westcon W logo. Uh, Joe Loth came up as a guest coach to Winnipeg, and he liked the W so much of uh, Winnipeg, he had it changed to the Westcon logo. The Westcon logo changed. But that was that, that was two logos ago, Coach. <laughs> didn't, didn't last. Didn't last then, huh? Well, yeah the the idea of an imported logo just didn't it didn't fly long enough. But coach, with the exchange rate and everything. Yeah. Well, you, you, know, you know we're changing our mascot now, too. The Colonials have been canceled, so I'm pushing for Blue Bombers. Perfect. Red Blacks, come on. What, would your color, what, would your two, what are your two colors now? Uh, they're blue. like Auburn, like kind of a blue and orange, like the Auburn-like look. So the blue and orange, like the Red Blacks, no, it doesn't sound great. Nah, no. But in any event, let's talk about you. You were at Westcott. Enough moons ago, uh, but part of some good, good, good stuff here. But my first and foremost question is, uh, how how did they let you sneak a Plymouth State guy sneak across the border and be at at Westcott, despite the great success Plymouth State had for many many years against Westcott? Still, it was like that dreaded game, that dreaded team. We're playing the Panthers. We hate the Panthers. And all of a sudden, here comes this Panther. <laughs> so uh, after fin- I still had a semester to go at Plymouth. I had the opportunity to coach at uh, Maine Maritime Academy. Uh, so I coached one season at Maine Maritime Academy and then went back to college. Uh, I, co- I coached in the fall, finished my degree in the spring, graduated. And at that time, I was doing a bunch of high school camps, um, trying to get more experience. Previous, I was still in college, and I had worked Boston College's camp, Northeastern's camp, trying to get my have something on my resume. So then I did a year at Maine Maritime, 
So that next summer, I got into camp season again. I worked at Boston College again, some other places. Well, and then I worked at one camp up in, I forget who had the relationship, but I worked at a camp in upstate Vermont. Uh, it was called the All-Star Vermont Camp. And, and I also worked at quarterback receiver camp. That's what it was. So I worked at quarterback receiver camp, and, and we, we went up and stayed at this place, and, and the players came and stayed. Uh, the, the man who runs a Grady Vino had these uh, sports camps all summer. So he put us up. We coached for three or four days, and then we went home. One of the coaches I was with uh, was a guy named Jonathan Michaels, who I believe coaches somewhere in the, the NESCAC, uh, and he had interviewed at Western Connecticut. And I was all upset. I'm like, man, it's a wideout job. He's only been coaching high school. I got a year into my belt. I'm like, man, I, I wish I knew about that job. I didn't understand. <laughs> And then, um, so how this came about was I was like, ah, oh, geez, that would have been a job that could have been worked out. And I had looked at AIC about a job, but then, um, the, the head coach time was a guy named John Servino. So I'm sure this podcast will have some good stories about our friend, John. And, um, I guess my friend, Jonathan Michaels, like he had all of a sudden out of the blue, a resume popped at Allegheny resume. So they call him and that's a good organization. Kenny O'Keefe, the head coach, comes, hey, oh, we got your resume. You'd be interested in this job. And he said, well, I just interviewed at Western Connecticut. And I guess uh, Kirk Shiraka had offered them the job and John Savino. And, but he, and then, or he hadn't taken it yet. So then he actually called Coach Savino and said, hey, is he interested if I take a couple days and maybe talk to these people too? And Coach Savino said, no. <laughs> <laughs> said, you, you're a reach and a coach at this position anyway, so you better be taken now or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm not too. So then he gets off the phone and he comes downstairs. He's like, well, there's a job at Westcon, I guess. Cause <laughs> yeah, so I called him up and then I, I, I think I went right from the camp. I drove down to Connecticut and I met with Kirk and, and John and, and they were fortunate enough to offer me the job, right? So it was kind of neat because I was, and that was, I believe, um, you know, I, I, Maine Maritime played Plymouth. My next job, you know, Westcon played Plymouth again. So it was still kind of in conference and was able to be, you know, kind of part of the Division Three football I grew up and played with. This, it's amazing to me how many guys still have and, and enjoy their connection in a way to Westcon. And there are still guys you worked with who wax poetic about you. I'm talking about, you know, student athletes from that, uh, from that point in time. It, it shows, we were talking prior to chatting with you, Coach Lapolis, that how impactful coaches can be, especially when they're good coaches, the ever-learning, ever-evolving coaches as, as you have been. It's, uh, it's really been great to follow your progression and see what you've been able to accomplish uh, in in Canada, a, a place you call home all year round now. Yeah, um, it is neat, especially being in a somewhat a pro, you know, a pro sports environment, because, yeah, I do get, you know, every once in a while, like somebody will retweet something or like something that, you know, I'm on Twitter is the only social media I use. And I'm like, oh, my God, that guy played for me at Western Connecticut, right? Or, you know, it, it, it's just weird. You see the guys that you'd had the opportunity to coach before. And and I had fond memories. I was a great staff, great guys. And, um, yeah, you're always – I was just talking about it the other day because I just came from the CFL Coaches Combine, uh, so the player combine, trying to get ready for the draft. And, uh, you know, we have some young guys in our staff, and we were trying to educate them 
about some things. And I talked about my first job at Westcon, I don't know, paid $4,000, right? And then, and you had free classes and you had meals, right? And, uh, you know, and if Coach Shavino wasn't stealing our meals, we got the meal, right? <laughs> and they eat and then go home. But we would, you know, the first place we went to, we found a place and uh, the coaches I was working with at the time, we found a nice, really nice apartment that was for rent on the water at some lake. And we actually put on what we made monthly. It was like 420 bucks a month. It was a 10-year contract. So like we're dumb enough to like actually write, we made $420 a month. Now the four of us could pay the rent that we're going to rent it, you know, and uh, you know, cause it was like 1600 bucks a month. Right. Or whatever. And she's like, well, we can't rent to you guys. Like watch, cause you don't have any money. I'm like, we have enough money for the rent. What do you mean? Well, what, how else are you going to live? I'm like we get free meals and we just live in the office. Like, and uh, so she, she, yeah, they walked away from us, but like, you know, the very, I was telling about the, the very funny, you start out and you never take a job for money. You take it for experience. And those are such great memories, you know, with working with those guys, Jimmy Salgado, who was with the bills was on that crew. Um, uh, Mike Brennan was a successful high school head coach um, in Pennsylvania. We had a guy named Gary Kroll who's coached for a number of years and obviously Joe on that staff and Kirk Scirocco, who's now the offense coordinator in Minnesota. So, you know, it's a, a really good staff, a lot of fun, but yeah, it's it, it those are great memories, and people can't fathom how you did it on four thousand dollars or eight thousand dollars a year, you know. And, and but great memories. It's also kind of amazing that you have you have had a successful dual career because you've also been a most excellent broadcaster. For the Canadian Football League, and and Coach okay. Coach Loth, what did you what did you liken Coach LaPolice to? He was the John Gruden of TNN. Is it TNN? TSN. T, yeah, TSN. He was the John Gruden of TSN for what two three years? Yeah, uh, three at least three years. Uh, let's see. Yeah, 13, 14, 15, and some of two thousand twelve. So yeah, it was a great opportunity, right? I would not call me an excellent television career, but would, uh, but it was pretty neat. I had the opportunity, you know, uh, some people at TSN said, Hey, you'd be great on, we'd love to have you on TV. And they wanted to get a coach on the panel. And then they basically had coaches playbook with Paul Lapolis. So what would happen is I flew up for every game and, uh, I had to basically, you know, I sat in a room with the guys, we watched the game, Hey, pull that clip out. And then they had, you know, this, same thing, college game day, same software. And we would just put together clips and talk about it. And at halftime, we came out of halftime always with the GMC coaches playbook sponsored by GMC. And I would talk about clips that happened in the game and, and key impactful moments. Sometimes I was on the panel as one of the panelists and went through the draft and everything. So it was great. It kept me connected to football and I did it for three years, but all those years I was either a guest coach at another organization. So I got to sit in a room and just, you know, what's one thing to hear people talk football for three hours. It's another thing to spend three weeks with somebody to learn uh, and grow. I went down to Princeton with Bob's race, obviously another Westcon name. I spent time with Bob at Princeton um, and some other places. And that time on television allowed me to actually grow as a football coach. And I got to you know spend time with family and everything. And then I came back to football in 2016. Well, the main thing is, that you, uh, again, 
have, have gotten all these great connections going. When Will Arndt was with us a few weeks back, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, you have to become an expert at the differences in the game. Yes, I know football is football, but it's eh, still a little wee bit different in Canada. And you have to adjust if you're not just if you're a coach, but if you're an athlete as well, you have to be able to make those adjustments to make the cut and, and stay in that league. Yeah, you know, so this this is year 22 for me in the league. Um, I think I can't I turn 30 in training camp. And, <laughs> you know, just learning about the game uh, is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one thing to be the defensive line coach or maybe uh, the linebacker coach or the O-line coach. To, to coach the pass game in this league or to coach the defensive backs in this league, it's different because it's motion. Guys can motion up and down the line of scrimmage, right? There's four by one sets there's five by one sets there's you know guys can motion everywhere you know and then the passing is a little different because there's an extra guy in the field right some things look like cover two but it's really not a cover two shell it's actually a three shell and they're locking field one and playing u.s rules up and it's interesting you bring that up like our league is now trying to figure out how can we make scoring better and how can we make quarterback play better and one of the things is like play with 11 guys because that's what all the quarterbacks down in the u.s learn and like, we wouldn't have to teach them as much, right? You have to teach us old, old, old guys to figure out back what 11 foot man football looks like on our field. But yeah, there is a lot of nuances and it's especially tied to the passing game. You know, some coaches will come up here and they'll just run their same system. If somebody came up from the U S and you know, they don't, they don't use motion. They don't do things to be successful. And unfortunately our league is understanding how important it is to have CFL experience. Um, I was on the rules committee meeting this week and one of the coaches brought up a great point. He goes, everybody in this room as head coaches are CFL lifers and, you know, respect the game every year, every, you know, years ago, you get a guy who came up from the U S they give him a head coaching job because he was in the NFL or major college, but he's like, ah, we're not going to motion. Right. Or there's a notorious story that, so some guy from the NFL took a job when they expanded the teams and like, coach, you only get 11 on the field. I don't care. I'm only playing with 11, you know, when they were playing U.S. rules or when they were playing in, in the U.S. and they still play with Canadian rules. So, yeah, it's, it, it's important you learn the rules up here and, and try to get better at, you know, all this crazy motion and movement of our league in the three downs, in the 110 yard field. Is it true, though, guys, that um, no matter if, if a league does something, such as the NFL or the, the Canadian Football League, does something to uh, increase the opportunities to score, there will always be a defensive mind somewhere who will come up with a, a wrinkle that could, could in some way. The only way, I think, to increase scoring is to do finally what the NFL did and, to the best of their ability, make quarterbacks untouchable. People don't realize Tom Brady's uh, records. Everybody says, oh, this 40-plus-year-old guy is doing this stuff, and I have no qualms. The man's a marvelous athlete, but he's not playing by the same rules a lot of other people played with, and that's ultimately the way. You'd either have to take a player off the field, right, as you said, was discussed, or you've, you've got to make certain people almost – untouchable. Well, well, Paul, you were talking yesterday about some of the things you were thinking about uh, as far as the rules was. 
Yeah, so I, what we think is going to be approved is they're going to make the hash marks. Uh, they're they're going to basically widen the hash marks, right? So I think our hash marks going to widen by five yards. Right now, the NFL field they're six yards apart. Uh, on our field, they're seventeen yards apart. So what that means is, when the ball's on the left hash, it's a long way to throw to the wide side of the field. So by us making sure we tighten the hashes down. What that allows us to do now is just make sure that um, just make sure that both sides, normally teams up here, their field corner back, you just can camp a mile inside and not even worry about field one because the ball is so, so far in the air. Now that we put ourselves in a position where we make it not as much of a wide field, right? Mm -hmm. And now into the boundary, like I, we're creating a lot of space for the corner and the will and the will linebacker. So we're going to make them play more in space and that maybe encourage more man coverage because you can't cover all the space and zone of our wide field with 12 guys. So then maybe teams have to go, okay, we've got to play more man to man and, and explosive plays come from man. And, and that's what our league is, you know, slowly scoring has dropped because, you know, a lot of people playing zone, there's only two downs to get a first down. And so it's, it's not easy to get long drives in our league. So you need explosive plays. So yeah, we've gone through a number of things. Like that was one thing. Uh, do we kick off? I think we're going to prove kicking off from farther back to get the ball in better field position. There's conversation about get rid of our fields, 110 yards long. We're talking about doing hundred yards, right? I don't think that's going to pass. They even talked about going to four downs, right? So yeah, you know, just trying to make sure we cre keep creating an exciting game. <laughs> well, one thing I have to ask you that I asked Coach before we, we got the chat, uh, Coach went through his story about getting involved with coaching. When did, when did the moment come for you that you said, I, I'd really like to continue my involvement and I really find this coaching thing to be intriguing enough to pursue? Um was there an exact moment or was it something that was gradually growing on you? Yeah. Like I wouldn't say when I was in high school, I was like, I want to be a coach. Um, I know I revered my high school football coach, had tons of respect for him. Uh, when I was playing in college, I enjoyed football. I liked class. I started out in a business track and I just knew I wasn't going to be enjoying that business track. Uh, so I moved to more of a teacher certification and educational and maybe be a high school coach or something like that. And then, you know, I just started working camps because I said, well, maybe I could be a college coach. And I had asked some of my coaches how that works in college. And I remember one coach who was like an older gentleman who was a high school coach coaching in Plymouth. And he said, hey, you know, Paul, I heard you're trying to get into it. He's like, it's a great life. You may have to move a little bit and everything. I mean, it's going to start out tough, but it's a great experience and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's, you know, uh, that's when I started really in college. I started enjoying it. And that's when I started to work in the camps to try to get something on the resume and start learning. And I was fortunate to move up, you know, quickly in, in the business and get opportunities. But, you know, that got me to Westcon in 1993, I believe. You know. And look at you now. Rocking the Red Blacks, baby. Oh, I, I'm, I'm loving that. We, we, may, we may have to do a swap of new, uh, you know, new merch. When Westcon gets new merch with the logos and the new team name and all that stuff, we may have to have an international exchange going on here. 
I got some, I got some red black stuff ready. (laughs) (laughs) Coach, I have to ask you for, for this league right now, um, it's, you know, it, it always seems that, that sometimes it doesn't get enough attention. We, um, we, I, I like to say there, if people paid more attention to what was going on in sports elsewhere, in other countries, uh, we would tend to find out maybe things that could improve our game on our end or maybe develop an, an interest and see some really great athletes. Hey, look, the uh, English soccer, the Premier League, is now broadcast regularly in the U.S. It's got definite times. It's being shown. There are fans. There are there are certain establishments that have their days dedicated to you come and watch and quaff with us and watch the Premier League. I, I've always kind of felt that the Canadian Football League got a little short shrift uh, here in the U.S., uh, especially since some folks have come out of there either coaching-wise, player-wise, and at the same time, it's a pretty interesting darn league if folks took the time to see it. Do you think there'll ever be a, a bigger push or a wider audience on our end in the U.S. for CFL football? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, ESPN has a, co- we have a contract with ESPN. ESPN shows at least one game a week, and then ESPN Plus plays every game. Um, and I, it's such a great product. Uh, it's seventy percent passing. Um, you know that, so it's a little bit more wide open. And you know, also the game's a little bit faster. I feel than the NFL and the fact of, you know, it's only a twenty second clock, so we get our plays in a little bit faster, and we've been working to make it as fast as we can. Now, the, la- the last three minutes, we call it a 57 and three up here. You play for 57 minutes, and the last three minutes of the game is another game because the clock stops in the last three, after every play in the last three minutes, whether it's out of bounds, inbounds, or not. So you can, it's very hard. And with only two downs, it's very hard to run the clock out up in our league. So you, you, all the time you get the last three minutes to clear the, game, the end of the game. You know, I've won a game before with a minute 20 left on the game. We scored, you know, two touchdowns in a minute 20, like it, it's really an exciting game. And, and we hope to get more exposure down there for people who love football right in the United States. Yeah. Recently, the only, the only great publicity I saw for the CFL down in our neck of the woods was um, the, was NBC showing an episode of the rocks sitcom young rock. And he gets cut from the CFL and it's like, well, on the one hand, you could say, well, that's kind of a negative thing to show. But on the other hand, it's showing that it's not easy to, to oh. make it. This is, this, it's not as though people say, well, I couldn't make it in the NFL. No problem. I'll just go to the, the CFL. It, it, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting yeah, situation. Yeah, that's a misnomer. Yeah, like too many people in the U.S. or players think, oh, that's CFL. I'll just go up play. CFL is great football. The first thing, half the roster is set with Canadians is the first thing. And, you know, so there's not as many roster opportunities. But then, like, they just don't understand the quality of talent up here, right? And I know there's these new leagues coming in and everything, and those are going to take some of the players from us who just want to play in the U.S. But, like, if you're a quarterback and you want to make 
close to a half a million dollars, you should play up here, right? Because those leagues are never going to pay that kind of money for a quarterback. You know, obviously the NFL will, but, you know, there's certain opportunities up here that I think are going to be better than those short-term leagues. And, you know, I said this to somebody the other day, I hope people don't understand our talent. One time somebody talked to me about it. It might've been a division three running back. And I'm not saying there's just not a lot of division three football players playing up in our league. And I remember asking the guy, he's like, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, he's really good. He was all conference for us and everything. And he wasn't even like an all American or something. And I, and I think he was at a division two school or something. And the coach is saying this or that. And then he goes to me, yeah, he's pretty good and everything. And, you know, he was a one-year starter. And I'm like, all right, a one-year starter division three is not division two is not starting for us. And then, yeah, he's pretty good. And he's like, who's your tailback right now? You know, I'm like, who was our tailback last year? Yeah. I'm like, it was Ricky Williams. And he kind of pauses and goes, um, you know, different name. No, Ricky Williams. <laughs> he played the Argos in 2006 when I was a running back coach. Right. So people don't get, you know, how good the talent is up here at times. So that's okay. though. Hey, Paul, here's a good question for you. Best receiver you coached at West High when you were here? I uh, would have been was – it, was it Gessner? Was that his name? Mark Gessner. Mark Gessner. Mark Gessner. Yeah, enough of the CFL talk. Let's talk the Thirsty Whale and the uh, – <laughs> What was the uh, what was the wing place? What's the wing place? TK's, TK's yeah, still in business. TK's still there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let's go back to those days. Those were good. Yeah, I, I was telling a story that we can't tell about a Main Street, a journey down Main Street one time. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> we're not going to tell that story though. Yeah, I, I guess there's done yeah, some, some coaching. By you know, way. I think I, I I think about that place. We I was part of the staff that we played in the old facility. Or coach there, I forget what the name of that is, Midtown Campus. Yep. Right. And then after the season, we moved into the new facility. So that was the year I was there. So we were at Midtown Campus for uh the for the season. And I think after Christmas or something, the new facility. So we were actually able to go into the new offices, the new facility for all spring. And then I I, I fortunately had the opportunity to go to the new University of New Hampshire. But yeah, that was a great new facility with the new uh, all the other new things. I believe the turf field was there, but the facility wasn't there. Is that correct, Joe? Did we? No, I think uh, the field was still in Midtown. And we actually moved into the O'Neill Center. We're in the stadium now, but we moved into the upstairs O'Neill Center offices. Okay, so the offices aren't at the O'Neill Center? No, we're anymore. in the stadium now. Okay. But we had a turf field at that time. At Midtown. I, I'm sorry, Midtown is where? Is the original the, campus downtown. Yes, we practiced there, but I f- recall we used to have practices where the O'Neill Center was at times. Yeah, we no? did. We did. We took buses. Yeah, we practiced there. That's we right. But there, but there, just, there were two grass fields, remember? Back-to-back grass fields. It was grass. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that's where the field goal post fell down on Coach Trevino. <laughs> I, I was not here when that happened, but <laughs> it is a great story that many people have told. Yeah. Oh, my um, <laughs> No, that was a great experience, you know, to be, uh, I, it was only my second year, but I think about, so my office was, we all shared, we we're all next door, next to each other in one room. So there was Jimmy Salgado was right next to me. Mike Brennan was behind me. Um, Paul. Are you, are you talking in the fall or the spring? In the fall. In the fall, uh, Bart, we were downstairs, Berkshire Hall. In the yeah. Basement. Oh, oh, the, yeah. the dark. Full of asbestos. 
Yes, full of asbestos. <laughs> we had these old tables and desks. And that horn, uh, that horn went off every what, like ten minutes. Remember that? Yeah. And uh, you know, Kirk Schrock, I think, had an office near Coach Servino. Joe, I, you might have been. You were probably with us too. Yeah, I was that, with you. Yep. And uh, you know, just a bunch of guys making no money, but just loving the game and learning the game and trying to get better as football coaches. And you know, I, I do recall like this is before cell phones and all those different things. Like we could either get cable or a phone at our house when we finally found a place to live. And I remember like we said, well, what do we need a phone for? We'll just go to the office and use the office phone, right? It's free. We don't have to, we got to have cable. We got to watch sports center. Right. And I remember my girlfriend at the time was like, are you an idiot? Like you didn't get a phone. I'm like, that. <laughs> just call me at the office. I'm is there that, all the time. Is that when coach Kroll took the dining room with you guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then shared an office, and he, it, we had to share bedrooms because it's all we could afford. And then one of the guys moved into the bed; he he wanted to sleep in the dining room. And then so, yeah, it was just a is a pretty cool experience because we're all young, just trying to learn. We had us we struggled as a team, right? We were one and nine. I think we beat an zero and nine team. Um, but like, there's just good people, right? Like Jimmy Salgado is still a friend of mine now who works for the Buffalo Bills. Like we'll, be, we'll be on next week's podcast. Nice. Um, you know, and obviously Joe and, 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 you know, it's interesting. You talk about the West con experience, you know, Kirk Chirac. Now there, when I grew up in the business, there was two places that football coaches came from. And what, what I mean by young coaches, the first place was a place called uh, Springfield college. And what they did is they gave graduate assistance to a lot of players. They had a head coach who was full-time and they had maybe one other full-time coach and the rest, they had a bunch of young guys that they gave them free classes and they, they filled out their staff that way. And Albany, New York did kind of the same thing. Albany university, those two places were the place where you heard, Oh, that guy went from here and then filled out staff at Lehigh or Harvard, or that guy went to New Hampshire. That's a place where you could get an opportunity that was more of a, than a high school part-time college coach. It was more, you're in the office all the time. And Westcon eventually turned into that place. That was the, I feel like the Westcon was the third place that a lot of people had an opportunity and then moved up in the business. And I give John Savino a lot of credit for that. If it wasn't before John, I know there's other people, but you know, we always had a staff of five or six young guys. And then if they do a good job, they get opportunities to go other places and, there's been a lot of guys move from Western Connecticut State to, to more successful things. Before we run away, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your upcoming edition of the Red Blacks. Hey, you know, draft occurs and you still have to shake a few things out. What are your feelings going into the upcoming season? Well, you know, we've, we've, we turned over our roster dramatically and a new general manager was hired after the season. And, uh, you know, so we're able to, reassess the roster and change a lot of pieces we needed to probably uh, either more experience or just uh, better players. So, yeah, I mean, we've signed four new offensive linemen. We'll probably have four new starters there. We'll probably have four new receiver starters. We'll have a new quarterback. Yeah, we'll new quarterback, new... yeah. Yeah, and Jeremiah Masoli is a veteran quarterback. And we had a veteran quarterback who just got hurt. And then uh, we had to end up playing some young guys. So, no, we expect to to be better, but I mean, we gotta we gotta we we gotta start being doing the things winning teams do. We gotta play better defensively, take the ball away more. Certainly, our scoring was nowhere near it needed to be. So, no, yeah, we will get better and keep growing. 
Year two, right? Kind of year three, but year two for you right up there. Yeah, year two. And then uh, it's year three because I had a COVID year. But, yes, it's our second year. And just trying to make sure that uh, some of the life lessons and game week lessons we taught them last year, it's hard because we flipped a lot of the roster. So you got to reteach a lot of those guys some of those things. But good, uh, good things. Well, Joe, what do you what do you got for our 1993 stories or like these? <laughs> well, I, I told a couple to Bart before you got on here. Most well, I don't of, mean most, those stories. Most of them are unrepeatable. Okay. Um, you know, you know I, I did. You, think know, you, know fun, you know what's did. funny? We were such young coaches back then. That was obviously might have been my first year too, 93. That uh, I forgot how bad we were that year. Because <laughs> by the time I yeah. left here as a young coach, we were had two back to back winning seasons and stuff like that. I, I forgot we were that bad that year. Yeah. And, you know, we were, you know, there was all this talk about the new O'Neill Center. That was a big push. And I, I did think John did a good job of like, there is stuff that I, I still think I have. Like, I think I went through some of my, I've been purging as I've moved the last couple of years and I still found some of the letters. Like he did a good job in recruiting and I job when he put six young guys in a room and say, all right, this is what you do. And this one, you go to the schools and this is what, you know, and then come back and you give Diane, uh, mm-hmm. is Diane's her name and like give, give her this letter. And that letter goes out to kids. And, you know, he did have some structure that was good. I thought for young coaches. That's, I'll tell you what, that's what me and Bob talked about last week was just the, yes. uh, the structure. I still take a little bit of the, maybe not his exact structure, but having structure and teaching structure to young coaches, especially and uh, even within the program itself. So definitely some good things yeah. I learned from coach. And, and, and he, he put you in a position like, uh, again, we had to be in the office. We usually had a staff meeting every day and, and it wasn't. Was he on time know, every day, coach? Probably not. But, you know, like we would be waiting for the 9 a.m. staff meeting about 9.15 would start. But like, you, I believe we had to have a tie on every day. Oh, yeah. In season, if we were in season. Cleanly we shaved. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you were dressed up and we had we he made it even though we were graduate assistants, it didn't make any money. And we also had classes. We had to take classes at night. You know, one class during the day. He ran it like we were pro, you know, either professional or major college coaches where you're in the office every day. So, I, I you know, I th- thought that was good training. Right. And and then you disappeared for three weeks after the season on the road. And then you came back. But um there were some good life lessons there. And I was only there a year. Uh, I was planning on coming back and I had went home and then the university of New Hampshire job opened up and uh, a receiver job that what still wasn't full time, but it was a, a step up. And I was fortunate enough to, to get closer to home and get that opportunity to work with, you know, an outstanding staff of the guys at UNH. Um, you know, you know, what's crazy about this profession yeah. is the amount of hours that we work in a season together in a room together the bonds you kind of get as a coach. Paul is one of my best friends in the world right now. I mean, we talk sometimes weekly, sometimes daily, sometimes. Yep. But but yep. but because of that, hours that you put together, you get to know people so well, and the bonds you develop are unbelievable. Yeah, you know, and I, I think as you say that, Joe, like I have my friends from high school, and I might be still tighter to my friends in high school than other people talk about. Like I have like four guys. No, I do I too. I got the same four guys in my group chat. Yeah, talk it, every day. you know, yeah. some people don't talk to anybody from yeah. high school. I still have a core guys. But what's funny is you don't have like also being transient a little bit in football. Like I don't know. Like 
uh, yeah, I might talk to Joe more than I talk to somebody in the city, you know, some other friends you have because yeah, like, cause you're a little bit more of a transient right person. And uh, yeah, I, I find that like some of the, your friends in football, you still talk to a lot more than maybe people in the same city as you, cause you well, just moved to the city or whatever. Well, you, know like, I, you know what it is too, Paul, yeah. you go to a, you go to a, a gathering of people and all of a sudden some guy wants to talk football with you that doesn't really know football or, yeah. or, 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 or you just can't relate to the guy. Like he's your right. wife's, he's like your wife's best friend's husband and you're like stuck at a party with this guy and you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. there's an unrelatability like, if you haven't coached football before. Right. Yeah. You know, it was funny cause I'm speaking on Friday. I'm, I'm, I'm doing like a corporate, for one of our corporate sponsors, I'm doing a little, like a leadership talk. And I had breakfast this morning with the gentleman uh, who's going to run it. He's an outstanding guy and everything. And, you know, I, I just tell me what you want, like, and then I'll mold what I'll talk to him about. And it's, and it, and it's, I think it's fun sometimes when it's like, well, you know, th this is kind of like the quarterback talking to the, <laughs> and I'm like, no, it isn't. No, just explain to me and I'll give you how it relates to football. Right. Tell me what you want it to look like. Tell me what your people do. Cause yeah, like I, all the time, even my brother sometimes says, oh, our jobs are so similar. I'm like, no, they're not. They're not at all. Like you, <laughs> if you screw up at your engineering job, nobody's going to, you're not going to be on the front page of the paper the next day. There's not going to be a podcast saying how dumb you are. <laughs> right? Like that's, <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay to, you know, don't you just, just say you understand. Right. But yeah, it, it's, yeah, there are different relationships when you're, and through the trenches with people, yeah, right? And Joe's a guy I can call and say, how'd you handle this situation before or whatever, right? You know, how did you play through this or that or whatever? And uh, no, that's that's been the beauty. And and I certainly talked to, I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago with uh, the family and, uh, you know, one of our best friends in the business, Chris Newguy, I, I forgot he's in there in, in Wagner College. And I called him and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow, but... You know, like still a friend of mine that I talk to a couple of times a year, but I haven't seen him in five years or whatever. And we're so kind of different, especially I live in another country now, but no great memories. I, you know, just living in a house with a bunch of guys making no money. Like it's, it's a crazy thing. Like I compare it to, I've been watching the WeWorks um, documentary or, or the, the show about WeWorks on Apple TV. I don't know if anybody's, I don't know if you guys know what WeWorks was, but WeWorks was a guy started basically buying real estate, renting floors of real estate, and he rented desks to people, but he made it like, this is going to be the best experience of your life. He tried to say, this is like unbelievable, and it's going to create your friends and people. And I was watching this going, and everything, I've heard the podcast before, and they basically said this guy was crazy. The people invested in was crazy. He was invest, you know, he was basically renting floors of a building and people started uh, valuing the floors more than the building because this, his sales pitch about being together and everything and creating a, a lifestyle. And I was in New York City last week and I was just thinking about that's he, the guy was right, because I think about Joe, me, all of us as young guys. Those are some of the best experiences of your life as a young coach trying to learn. And you all you have is football and your friends. Right. Basically at that time. And that's what that guy was trying to model. He's like, people move to New York City. They need a place to go to work. And, and, and for the people who work on their own, 
here's your family. Here's the people you're going to hang out with. And that that's what worked for that company or whatever. No different than football. I was like, that's no different than, you know, we hung out every night. All right. Where are we going for dinner? Where are we going for beers? Right. Okay. Well, we'll where's the cheapest place we can get food this week? Right. <laughs> you know, and that was, that was a great time. Right. And then we all branch off. And the beauty of that is being happy for so-and-so. Like I can get you, everybody on this call was ecstatic when Kurt Chiraca who's going to get on this call someday, you know, got the job at Minnesota. Right. And then he went to Penn state and like, you know, it's a guy who's just a good guy in the business and just had the right, you know, half this business opportunities, getting the right opportunities. And, and uh, yeah, so it's a nice close knit group of friends and you just keep, keep being happy for each other. You, you mentioned food, food's okay in Ottawa. Yes. Food's excellent. Very multicultural, different spots to go. As I always say to, to Joe and other people, everyone's like, what do you eat up there? You guys have like your king and stuff. Cheese like, curds, no, right? Kill whales and, <laughs> and moose, and we just eat them weekly, right? And we live in igloos, and <laughs> uh, people, we're, we're so ignorant about what's up in Canada uh, when I was back in the U.S. Well, it's, a, it's, it's the home of Paul Anka. Paul Anka comes from Ottawa. And, and Paul, did you have well, any idea of that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> no. Do you know who Paul Inc. is? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't really know. He's, not, he's young, but he's not that young. He knows who Paul Inc. Yeah. is. My yeah. gosh. Yes, it's true. Look, be, before we totally wrap up, uh, let's remind people, uh, when does the, the season start for you? know, you got draft and some other stuff coming yeah, up. When will the season start? We go to uh, Camp May 14th, I believe is the date, and we'll start playing games in June and, and, and go. We play 18 games. We play from June. There's three bye weeks, and then we finish. our The Grey Cup is usually the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's, right. what, that's what most people don't realize is training camp and CFL is in May. They play yeah. all summer. It's not a fall sport. It is a summer into fall sport. Yeah. It is a long season. And we've kept pushing the season closer to starting earlier because you, you just want to play more games uh, before the weather gets cold. Right. And, and certainly cold. in October, <laughs> but we were trying to get, you know, we've, we've moved it up by probably three, since I came into league, it's been moved up by three weeks just to get maybe three more games and, and better weather. And yeah. So we, you know, we start early and your whole summer is committed to football. Right. And the beauty of this league is you play 18 games. So there's a lot of football being played. And, uh, you know, you get to play quickly, and, and that's the beauty compared to 10 games or whatever. You get a lot of football, uh, and it's exciting brand, brand of football. See, the nice yeah. thing for me is Paul. enough, you know, and I guess the, the corny thing about WestCon is when Will Arndt, who was on a couple of weeks ago, when he got some of his starts in 19, I remember putting out a, a tweet of a picture. Um, I put a picture of, I still have in my, whatever, one of my albums, me with the receiving core, right? Like the receivers I had at Western Connecticut state, Gail Saunders, right. was one of them. He's the rookie of the year. And I had a picture of them and I had a picture of the staff. I put both those pictures up. I remember when Will had his first start and I said, I was pretty, I was pretty proud of the place I worked at. Now let's get a kid starting in a game. So kind of cool. Yeah. Gail Saunders, uh, was a Florida kid, wasn't he? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, Gail uh, Saunders. Gail Saunders. I don't know where he's from. Yeah, I think he, I think he was a Florida kid who ended up here in the great Nutmeg uh, Nutmeg State. Gester has been uh, done some done some coaching. You had some you had some good people working with you there. 
Dan Lowenberg was oh, a receiver. Yep, good, good player. Our, let, our let receivers were Dan Lowenberg, Gesner, Gail Saunders was the rookie of the year in the Freedom Football Conference. Is that what mm-hmm. we're in? Yep. And um, Alan Irk, Dave Sessa, uh, Rich Lester stormed out of the gates as a freshman with a strong arm. And we played Donnie Brown. We played oh, yeah, a, on the state. Donnie Brown. Right, who's now the head coach of UMass. So, yeah, yeah, excellent memories. And I do think, would it be John Servino followed by Bob Serace? Is that how the transition? Is that what it was, John yeah, Servino? Yeah. You know, John Servino, Bob Serace, and then... Uh, John Burrell. John Burrell and then Joe Loth, right? I mean, WestCon is somewhat on the map for, you know, like... I'm, I'm, it's, they have put on the map for here's an opportunity to move up in jobs and do all that stuff. And I, and I feel a little bit different nowadays. I feel like there's more one, a jobs, Joe, and you tell me if that's right or not, there's more analyst jobs. Oh, or so other, many, you know, there's so many avenues for people to get jobs at that level higher that they don't come down to the, there's probably not as many competition for the division three jobs, but that's how you cut your teeth. That's how you get the next move up and the next opportunity. The problem up there though, what I'm finding is guys can't get out of those jobs, those analyst jobs, because yeah. they've never yeah. coached some of them. Yeah. I mean, the best thing that happened for me, I was at that one AA level and I had the opportunity to go back to, do, I had an opportunity, a former player got the full-time job. Okay. And I didn't. And then I got a division three job as a coordinator. And the, but that was so much better than just being a position coach at a one AA school. I got to do everything. I had to call the plays and that, I wouldn't have been prepared to come to pro football in the year 2000 if I hadn't called plays for two years, two and a half years or three years, whatever it was. Hey, it was so, RPI. Yes. 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 So going down to that level or the level, you know, you just get exposed more and you get to do more. Right. And then, and then sometimes guys go up to that higher level and they don't ever get to do things right. They're just on the outside. So no great memories. And I, I really think Westcon put a lot of coaches on, obviously they have put a lot of coaches on the map. You still got that in the media guide where everybody went. No more media guys at this level. No more media guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. PDF it. Right? <laughs> right? On, on that note, I can't thank you enough for, for being with us. We want to wish you the best for the, uh, for the upcoming campaign. Take care. Take care of Arn for us. Uh, <laughs> I will. Yep, we will. You'll do a great job. Maybe, Maybe and Will and I will get down there and we'll go to TK's or something. <laughs> yes, and and maybe or maybe you can invite Paul Anka to sing the national anthem uh, sure, of Canada sure. at one of the games. Yeah, or yeah, or you guys, the two of you guys, come on up for a game this summer. Let's go we'll get you. A Six hour drive, it's not that bad. So drive, bring Pat. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Coach, all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for the for the memories for what you did. For West Coast, let's face it. I mean, it, we can talk about head coaches and whatever, but it's it's that whole cohesive unit. If if the head coaches didn't have the kind of people they had working with them, the whole thing doesn't click. And boy, did it end up clicking! And it's thanks to gentlemen such as you uh, for for making that a possibility here at Westcon, and and for folks like Coach Loth continuing in what has been a, a very solid tradition at Westcon win or lose student athletes get developed uh the school's name is on the map and uh and it's nice to know that that map leads here and there to people like Bobby Serace and people like Paul Apolis 
Yeah, it was great memories. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Paul, appreciate it. We have to wrap up this edition of the Westcon Football Podcast. Bart Pasterna, Coach Joe Loth. But before we go, Coach, please remind people how to stay in touch with the Westcon Football Program. Yeah, the easiest way to get in touch with us, we got a universal email, football at WCSU. Uh, we check that daily. Uh, also, we have a Facebook page. we got an Instagram page. We've got a Twitter page. And uh, try to keep up with all those things. Please do. We love hearing from alum. We love hearing from fans of Westcon football, Westcon athletic fans in general, alumni in general. Coach is getting ready for all the spring practice stuff. And la, 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 me, I'm going to uh, be portraying George Lucas in a new Broadway (laughs) musical. But we'll be back with you next week on the Westcon Football Podcast. Have a good one, everybody. The Westcon Football Podcast is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WCSU Media, and feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.